The following podcast is a live recording of a radio show first broadcast by Fresh FM with assistance from New Zealand On Air. Fresh FM is a community access media station based in Te Tauihu, the top of the South Island, New Zealand. If you or your group would like to know more about how you can have a program on our station, please contact us. Visit our website freshfm.net for our contact details. Hello and welcome to another episode of Climate Matters. I'm Lindsay Wood from climate strategy company Resilience Limited and Climate Matters is brought to you by Fresh FM, the top of the South's community access radio station. Fresh FM broadcasts in Blenheim on 88.9, Eastern Golden Bay on 95.0, to the Nelson CBD on 107.2 and across the Nelson Tasman region on 104.8. It's also streamed to the planet on freshfm.net and podcasts of Climate Matters and of other locally produced shows are available through freshfm.net and through the accessmedia.nz app. Well, today we're bringing you Climate Matters number 80. It was actually issued on the 30th of July 2022, but because of all the intensive series on climate and local government, It's been displaced, and I suspect you're listening to this in early September, although I don't at the moment know the exact broadcasting date. So here's what we're going to cover. There's a bit on corporate greed, and the first item is, could the All Blacks drop in performance be suffering sponsorship awareness? We'll come back to that in a moment. There are a couple of good quotations that I'll come back to. Then, when is regeneration not regeneration? When it's regenesis, that mystery will become clear to you in a minute or two. And then there's an item from the Can You Believe It files, which is pretty interesting, quoting a new scientist report. Another one, keeping wetlands wet, the stop-start Jongli Canal stops, hopefully for good, and get a handle on the scale of this canal when I cover that in a bit more detail. And then a double-banging article, or I call them articles, on transport. Transport engages forward and reverse at the same time. <clears throat> then, of course, there'll be a hot tip for a cool planet. And I'll have a go at this week's quiz, which was a question, and that is, I'm going to try and say this myself, oligarchitology is a study of what? And why is it important for climate? Oligarchitology. We'll come back to the answer for that at the end. So let's get into it. Here's the little editorial bit. Corporate greed exposes the dumb side of intelligent executives. Oil companies so dollar-focused that they'll rake in money at any cost. New Zealand rugby so dollar-focused they'll pawn the futures of young generations by making players billboards for such planet wreckers. And maybe even Hyundai so dollar-focused, they'll play New Zealand ink for suckers and sell a small-scale glitz that's a large-scale dud. That's referencing the introduction of hydrogen-fueled trucks. So let's go to the first item. Could the All Blacks be suffering from sponsorship awareness? I think uh, anybody in New Zealand just about knows that the All Blacks have had almost an unprecedented drop in uh, performance. And here's what I had to say about that. A little bit tongue-in-cheek, but not totally. Maybe the falling All Blacks performance 
reflects players troubled deep down now their pay comes from promoting businesses that help trash the planet big time. Oil and guest scented Ultrad and Oilco Ineos are both on their kits, on their shirt and on their shorts. And Ineos decided against investing in renewable energy like solar and wind because it was making far too much money from profit from fossil fuels. And there's a link there to a Times article that will give you an insight into that. At some point in the sequence, Ultrad and Ineos, Ineos to New Zealand Rugby, to brand All Blacks, to players, to media fans, to valuing kids' futures, at some point in that string of events, we each cross our own, we shouldn't be doing this line, and turn away. Climate Matters 77 reported Matt Martell saying that he was severely tested when he turned away from petrol cars. And the quote there is, business desk will no longer review the cars I have always loved. And there's a link there back to the article that CM77 covered. I personally have pledged not to watch any All Black games while they have these sponsors. It's a loss for me. I enjoy watching them, but I would now find it nauseating seeing this stuff that they're promoting. And I just think it's so hypocritical. I mentioned some quotes. Uh, here's one from Isabella Tree, who it was the author of Wilding. She lives on the Nepp estate in, in Britain. And her quote is, the boy is taking his finger out of the dike. And that references the famous story about a boy in the Netherlands who blocked a hole in the dike where the water was coming in with his finger and saved a region. Um, and the significance of that is that she is referencing the success of a, a program they have in the Netherlands called Room for the River. And that is by rewilding the river that had been heavily engineered, that has reduced the extreme flood risk from a one to a hundred year cycle to a one to 1,250 year cycle. A staggering difference from restoring many of the natural qualities of the river. That's not a lone story. It's happening in many places through different mechanisms. The next item is when is regeneration not regeneration? When it's regenesis. Now I did touch on this when I was um, recording or giving the program on Climate Matters 79 and apologies for listeners who read or readers who read that because I incorrectly named George Monbiot's new book. It's actually called Regenesis and I called it Regeneration but it still seems just as remarkable as it is on my must-read list so watch this space or listen to this space. I hope to give you an update on that before too long. And that segues into a book that I am reading called Regeneration, Ending the Climate Crisis in One Generation. It's the brainchild of Paul Hawken, who was the founder of the amazing project Drawdown, an incredible one. And this is another appealing book, a very attractive book. It continues his hallmark macro view. He takes a very big view. How do we have to solve this whole problem? He also takes macro hope. We can solve it if we do all these things. And yet he drills it down into specific strategies. It's an amazing concept and an amazing book. It's got something for everyone from sublime illustrations. And I'm looking, as I'm reading this out, 
to an illustration of what looks like a monarch butterfly landing on a crocodile's nose. How cool is that? So it's got everything from sublime illustrations to a section called Where to Start, and from big picture things like carbon architecture to saving the planet begins at breakfast. So there's something for everyone. I really encourage people to read that, or if you're looking for a good gift, that would make a great gift. And then here's the one from the Can You Believe It files from New Scientist. New Scientist reports intriguing research that reveals, get a load of this, circular cities have more rain than square cities, and triangular cities have the least rain of all. And sometimes the difference is as much as 20%. It's staggering, isn't it? It's all to do with the way the air flows into the city and meets um, and how quickly the air meets with triangular or angular cities. Airflow from opposite sides meets more quickly and dissipates their energy. And for some reason, that means they don't get so much rain. So if flooding is your worry, you're best off with an angular city, but go circular if you need more rain. How crazy is that? I don't quite know how you implement that. Do you have a plan of saying, oh, we better, we better angle off that corner or what? I just don't know, but it's fascinating. It shows just how complex and subtle some of these things are. Keeping wetlands wet. The stop-start Jongli Canal stops, hopefully for good. Yale's Environment 360 newsletter reported that the president of South Sudan is halting work on the 400-kilometre-long Jongli Canal project, which is intended to take the water from the Sud Swamp. We'll talk about that again in a moment. From the Sud Swamp water, which currently drains into the White Nile River and redirect it into Egypt. And so, as the article says, it would desiccate the world's second largest wetland. Desiccate as in dry out. <coughs> So that's a major impact. The halt is a major win for wildlife and for carbon because wetlands sequester an enormous amount of carbon. If you're not sure about that, maybe have a listen to the interview with Dr. Simon Stewart from the Cawthron Institute because he spoke well about that. And it's also a credit to the widely republished article by seasoned environmental writer Fred Pierce. I really rate Fred Pierce. But his article was said to be very influential in the decision. We'll give a link to that. But for example, I came first came across Fred Pierce oh, about 12 years ago. He's written a powerful book called When the Rivers Run Dry. And that's incredible. He does wonderful investigative journalism in the environmental arena. <laughs> Here's another simple sounding quote, but we'll unpick it a bit. No country has a stronger carbon cutting plan than those declared at COP26. That's from the New Scientist in the 21st of May. And let's just not dismiss that as a convenient one-liner. What does that mean? That means that on average, we're not coming near to meeting the targets that were agreed at COP26 back at the end of last year. And what does that mean again? That means we're falling further behind. We're going to have to work harder to catch up. And it also means that in November this year, when COP27 arises and our government is represented there, we have to be pressuring them to really push 
big carbon targets and big commitments across the line. Wouldn't it be wonderful if New Zealand was the country that broke that mould and just said we're the first country to plan to cut carbon more strongly than we said we could at COP26? Fingers crossed on that one. Now, I mentioned the transport engages forward and reverse at the same time. First of all, hats off to transit. That's T-R-A-N-Z-I-T. Hats off to transit for innovative re-engineering of diesel buses to electric. And I've suggested that might be an industry in waiting. There's a link to an article. That's all I've written there. But just to tell you a little bit more, transit took a double-decker bus and stripped a diesel double-decker bus and stripped it right down to the point that they could then introduce their own battery and electric drive system. They not only stripped it down, re-engineered it and rebuilt it, but then they took it all to bits again. They got all the approvals they needed to run it legally and in accordance with the manufacturers of the electrical equipment's requirements. And then they put it all back together again. And as they did so, they wrote a manual for how to do it so that it could be done in the future. What a wonderful concept. That's no cheap process, but it's a lot cheaper than buying a new electric bus. It's also a lot better in some ways because we've got all the old gear like the uh, the rolling system, the, the, um, the bodywork, the seats and everything of a bus that we'd otherwise throw to waste. So that's a, a good reuse of buses, a good saving of money, and potentially a good local industry. We're not short of diesel buses that we need to change to electric. But having given hats off to Transit for that, no hats off to Minister Megan Wood's myopic obsession with hydrogen. There's a picture there of cheesy grins from Minister Wood's and from uh, an executive of New Zealand Post and from a New Zealand executive of Hyundai New Zealand. And I'm saying cheesy grins all round to show how deal makers look before they register a hydrogen-based transport sector is a dud. And it'll also be a millstone round the necks of the whole of New Zealand as we try to get that huge challenge of 100% renewable electricity generation. I've given links to a couple of articles there. I also, if you listen to this series and heard me interview energy transition professor Susan Crumdike on the first episode, along, she was in the same one that James Shaw was interviewed on. Or if you listen to the one with uh, the retired professor of electric power, energy, electric power engineering, that was Pat Bodger, which was, I think, episode three, they would both say, raise serious questions about the viability of renewable generation, raise serious questions about the viability of a hydrogen-based transport sector. Essentially, it sucks so much electricity out of the system to make the hydrogen that it actually is really a liability rather than an asset, except in very rare cases. Now, we're running out of time so quickly. A hot tip for a cool planet. Well, have fun and try adding a new delicious vegetarian recipe to your, your repertoire. So have a look. But if you get stuck, I've said be entertained. And I've given a link to Chef John's Meatless me Meatballs. Chef John's Meatless Meatballs. They're as good as he says. I've tried it. I've even referenced it in Climate Matters before. And then finally, the quiz was oligokytology is a study of what and why is it important for climate? Well, it's the study of earthworms. 
and they help condition the soil, they help it absorb carbon, they help it produce food, and they stabilize its moisture and they reduce flooding. So they've got a lot to play. And on that note, I will have to stop. Thank you so much for your company. I do hope it I enjoy it again next week. This is Lindsay Wood signing off with Kia Kaha for the climate. The podcast you just listened to was a live recording of a radio show, first broadcast on Fresh FM, the top of the South's community access media station, with support from New Zealand On Air. The funding of Access Media makes these podcasts possible. To find similar programs by other community access media stations, go online to accessmedia.nz.